This morning's scripture is taken from John chapter 12, verse 32. John chapter 12, verse 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Good morning again and welcome to the beginning of our gospel meeting. We are grateful for your presence. If you are visiting, as always, we encourage you to come back to be a honored guest of ours. We're so thankful to have a number of visitors with us today. If you are currently looking for a church home, we invite you to consider working with us here at the church at Olive Branch. We would be delighted to have you join hands with us as we labor in the kingdom here in this community. We are grateful to have Brother Jeff Wilder with us today. He led our study this morning during Bible class. He did an outstanding job, and I appreciated so much the the thoughts that he shared with us. And I hope that you had the opportunity to hear him during that hour. If not, I would encourage you to either go to the website and listen to uh, the archived lesson or maybe secure a copy of that CD. It was an outstanding presentation. As many of you know, Brother Jeff is the local preacher for the church in Fayetteville, Georgia. He is a graduate of Alabama Christian College, which is now known as Faulkner University. And he and his wife, Tammy, have a daughter, Ellie, who is a sophomore in high school. The theme of our meeting this week is involvement. And all of us need to be involved in the work of the church. We appreciate the elders and their wisdom in choosing this series of lessons to be presented to us. And we know and believe that Jeff will do an outstanding job sharing lessons from the Word of God on this theme. And so now at this time, I will turn the services over to Jeff, and I hope that you will give him your undivided attention. Again, what a joy it is to be here with you. I have looked forward to this opportunity. I was honored beyond measure to be invited back. I um, must say that you and a there's one other congregation that have had me back repetitively to hold a gospel meeting, and I appreciate that so much. I held about five meetings last year and have four more scheduled for this year, and uh, I am honored to be here at Olive Branch. I look forward to getting to know Brother Hickson. I know of his reputation and of his work and look forward to spending some time with him this week. Thank you to the good shepherds of this congregation who have seen fit for us to study from the example and to encourage us to be involved in the work of the Lord. I do bring you greetings from my brethren at Fayetteville. The family there uh, was so gracious when I went to be with them the first of this year to understand my schedule and what I had, and they were very um, excited about me coming here. I'm not sure why they were excited. I do appreciate Brother Dennis sending that message and say we miss you. That's really encouraging uh, to know. But I do love the family at Fayetteville. Miss the family at McDonough. That was very dear to me and uh, enjoyed my tenure there with them and still look forward to being with them at special occasions. This week we're going to look at involvement. As you have heard this morning, we're going to look at involvement for Jesus' sake. Tonight we're going to look at involvement for my sake. On Monday night we're going to look at involvement for the lost sake. And then on Tuesday night, involvement for the church sake. 
And then Wednesday night, we will close this presentation of gospel and this gospel meeting with involvement for heaven's sake. Jesus, at a very young age in the flesh, said to his mother and to his father Joseph, How is it that you sought me? Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Jesus, when he left to the greatest place in all of eternity, in all of existence, when he left heaven on the greatest missionary journey ever to be gone on by man, came to this earth, came as a form of a baby into the womb of a woman conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he went through birth just like you and I, and he grew up. He came for one reason and one reason only, and that was to seek and to save the lost, which is his father's business. There in the city, there at that time when a large crowd had been gathered and they were headed home, they had come for the purpose of worship. Mary and Joseph, thinking that he was back with some other family members and he was missing at the age of around 12, They find him there, teaching, debating, listening, and speaking about his father. You and I have been left with that ministry. And I believe if we in the 21st century, the church of now, the church that is now, the first century church living in the 21st century church would understand that it is not the ministry of this congregation. It is not the ministry of a certain group or it's not the ministry of people going about doing what we're doing, but it is the ministry that belongs to Jesus that you and I have been left with. Then we will get busy in our father's business. Jesus came with the purpose to save man. He lived a life in such a way that he could be and would be the perfect sacrifice that would save us from our sin. And he left us, his disciples, with the message of tell it and tell it again. And you and I have that focus today. And that we must understand that Jesus, Jesus left for you and I ministry. What is it about Jesus that is so important? Why be involved in the work of the Lord? Why be involved when it is other things that vie for my attention? Why should I be involved in his work? Why should I dedicate my life to him? Why is it that he should be paramount in my life? And this morning, I want to share with you four quick reasons why I believe that your work and your effort And your time is worthy to give to Jesus. Brethren, we've got a task, a monumental task before us. We've got a task to share the gospel with the world. To keep those who become children of God built up and edified. And to serve this world on behalf of Jesus. And if we're going to do it, we've got to buy into who Jesus is. The first reason I submit to you this morning why Jesus is worthy of your involvement in his father's business is because he made us. If you have your copy of the scripture, go to the scripture that is probably some of the most familiar scripture in all of the text. In John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, 
John opens up this document, a historical document of the life of Christ, and he says this, In beginning, in beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that, we might, that might be made. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Drop down to verse number 14. And the word, what word? The word that was in, in beginning. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is worthy of our effort, of our work, of our involvement because he made me. He created me. He knows me. I am what I am because Jesus made me. Go back to the very beginning, to the genesis of it all. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We see that word there, God. It is the plural form in its original language. We drop down to verse number 26 and we see for the first time in our language the plural where God said, let us Make man in our image. There is a part of you that is just like God. Why? Because he made us in his image. Jesus was there. He is the creator. Go with me to Brother Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. And he said in that book, in chapter 1 and beginning in verse number 16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him, and listen, and for him. Jesus is worthy because he made me. He didn't make me and just leave me. He knows me intimately. He knows the number of beats that my heart will experience. He knows the very thoughts of my mind. He knows my actions better than I do. Have you ever thought about this? The scripture says that he knows the very hair of our head. When you go and you dissect that portion of scripture... He doesn't just know the collective number of the hair on our head. Listen to me, church. <laughs> he knows which one's which. Uh, this morning, I'm very grateful to you. I'm staying at the Holiday Inn Express just across the way, a very comfortable and nice facility. And as I was brushing my hair and got through with that, I looked down on the counter and thinking about the lesson today, there laid a hair, and unfortunately it was gray. <laughs> They're getting gray. I'm thankful they're getting gray instead of getting gone. We have a brother at the Fayetteville congregation who is battling cancer, a young man. And we had several of our men to shave their head in honor of Keith and so that we would demonstrate we're your family. And they said, come on, Jeff, go get your head shaved. I said, not on your life. I'd look like a swelled up tick if my head was shaved. They said, well, you got to do something. I said, well, if 10 of y'all shave your heads, I'll shave my legs. <clears throat> Wednesday night, they stood in a line. There were five of them. They said, all right, we want one leg shaved. <laughs> so I just pray they forget about the other five, and I've only got to shave one leg. But this morning, when I looked down at that gray hair, 
I thought, Jesus knows me so intimately that he knows which one this is. Jesus is worthy of us being involved in his father's business, in his business, in the ministry that he left you and I to do, that to seek and to save the lost, that to keep the church edified and built up, and that to serve people on his behalf. That's what ministry is. Acts chapter 1, we see him doing and teaching. He is worthy of our effort, of our energy, of our undying dedication because he made me. Secondly, he is worthy because he sustains me. The Hebrew writer and his exhortation says it like this. By the power of his word, he upholds all things. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 3. By the power of his word, he upholds all things. I noted this morning in the classroom that I woke up and it was a little cooler than I intended for it to be. I didn't realize that it was going to be this cool. But you know, I can live in 40 degree weather. I can live with enough clothing in sub-zero degree weather. But how many of us got up and adjusted the world's temperature today? You know, they say that if we get further from the sun, that we would all freeze to death. If we got closer to the sun, we would all burn up, that the world is where it needs to be. And do you know why it stays there? It's because Jesus sustains it there. How many of you got up this morning and adjusted the oxygen level in the air? I didn't have to. Did any of you? If you did, let me know. We didn't have to do that. Why? Because Jesus sustains us. Brother Paul said it to the men on Mars Hill, those who were educated, those who wanted to be religious but didn't know how to be religious. Paul said, I perceive that you're religious people in that. And I love how he can take any situation and make it a gospel presentation in that you have here marked an idol for the unknown God. And Paul says, let me tell you about him. And then he drops down and he says that it is in him that we live and move and have our being. What God? The God of heaven. Who is the God of heaven? The God of heaven is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, who is God, who not only made me, sustains me. It would be a scary day. If gravity got out of kilter, would it not? Could you imagine walking down the sidewalk and all of a sudden your feet leave the sidewalk and you're propelled without gravity holding you down? Wouldn't that be scary? Think about this. Wouldn't it be even scarier if you were walking down the sidewalk and that happened to me and I was coming towards you? we don't have to worry about such. Why? Because God sustains us. Jesus sustains us. Not only physically, but spiritually. He is the fountain from whence all blessings come. He is the giver, James says, of all good and perfect gifts. 
Oh, I could go on and how he sustains us spiritually. But Jesus is worthy of your effort. He's worthy of your involvement. He's worthy of the fact that you ought to roll up your sleeves, pass your elbow, and get so busy in the vineyard of the kingdom that you don't know when night comes upon you because you're focused on His work. Why? Because He made you. Number two, because He sustains you. And number three, because He saves you. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. I hope you're already there. If you're not, please go there. I want you to see this. In Hebrews chapter 1, we'll talk about this more later, but you and I have a sin problem that we can't handle, and don't you think for a minute that you can. That's one of the reasons we're not doing what we need to do is because we have become so full of ourselves that we believe that we can handle our sin problem, and you can't regardless. You can't work your way through it. You can't pray your way through it. You can't ignore it, and it'll go away through it. You've got to let Jesus handle it, and he and he alone can handle your sin problem. The Hebrew writer says it like this. God, chapter 1 and verse number 1, Theos, who in sundry times and different ways spake to us in past unto the fathers by the prophets, but has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness and the glory and the expressed image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, watch this, when he who Jesus... The Son of God, the one that he's focusing on, when he, by himself, did you hear that? When he, Jesus, by himself, he didn't do it, he, I mean, he didn't do it with someone, he didn't have a host of people with him, he did it by himself, exclusively, to the point that no one else could do it, the Father couldn't do it, the Spirit couldn't do it, Michael the archangel couldn't do it, nor his counterpart Gabriel could do it, nor could the host of angels of all of heaven, nor could a good man, nor could any man do what Jesus did by himself and see what he did purged us from our sins. My brothers, my sisters, have you let Jesus and Jesus alone completely save you because he's the only one that can. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 said, for by grace are you saved. And we, oh, we get real excited about that, but we've got to say the next thing through faith. Yes, I must receive the gift. I must be willing to surrender. Brethren, it's time we stop talking about commitment and start talking about surrender. Because until we surrender, we will not commit. I'm reminded of the little boy. And for the record's sake, as you well know, I worked for many years in child welfare And I have been accused of being a hard-headed child, and I have seen some hard-headed children. But let me tell you about this little boy. The daddy said, Johnny, I need you to sit in the chair. Johnny said, I don't want to sit down, daddy. Daddy said, Johnny, I want you to sit down. 
appropriate parent tells the child what you want to do and what the expectations are. He told him, he told him twice, Johnny, I want you to sit down. Johnny said, I'm not going to sit down. Daddy said the third time, Johnny, if you don't sit down, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to wear your little behind out. Good parenting. Tell the child what you expect, then tell the child if they don't do it, what the consequences are. Daddy did that. Sit down, Johnny. I'm not. Sit down, Johnny. I don't want to. Johnny, if you don't sit down, I'm going to wear your little behind out. It's all right with me. Johnny says, I'm not going to sit down. Daddy proceeds to wear his little behind out and says, sit down. Johnny says, I'm not going to sit down. The daddy becomes irate and he says, Johnny, I'm going to tell you, you are going to sit down. And he picks him up and he takes him and he sits him down and he knocks his feet down, bending his knees. And Johnny says, is sitting there. And the daddy says, see, I told you to sit down. And Johnny said, but I'm standing on the inside. You see... Johnny had not surrendered. And until you and I surrender our will to Jesus, who saves us, him and him alone, and completely saves us, then when we surrender, we will have commitment. I beg you this morning to see Jesus as the Savior To see Jesus as the one who will save us. As it was said by Matthew that Jesus, she shall conceive and be both a son. And he shall save us from our sins. He shall save his people. In John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he further reveals to Nicodemus who he is. And the fact that he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him, what? will be saved, shall be saved. Jesus is the Savior, Him and Him alone. You see, this thing we call grace, which in its purest form in the original language doesn't mean unmerited favor, it just means favor. God's favor is given to us, and it's hard for us to understand because we live in a works-based society. Oh, and I believe we must have work involved. James explains that. If we're going to have faith, the faith that will lead us to salvation, which is faith basically boiled down to its simplest point, is belief plus works equals faith. When we do that, we will work, and it's not for grace we work. It's because of grace we work. And when we understand that, we will become a tireless stopless movement for Jesus Christ because he has saved me. Why is he worthy? Because he made me. Because he sustains me. Because he saves me. By the blood that he shed on that cross that takes away my sin which has a penalty of death. Romans chapter 6. The fact that I can believe to the point that I will put into action my belief that he is God's son. Not only that he's God's son, but that he is Lord of my life. And when I realize that I am a sinner, helpless then I change my mind that I'm not going to be in the sinning business, but in the God-living business, and I make a turn to Jesus. That's called repentance, and I believe that's where we find our hardness in today, our difficult times, is we have a hard time giving up the world because we've become so accustomed to letting the devil be the focus of our life. But when we repent,
sin, we put Jesus on the throne of our life. And then when we're immersed in water, it's there we have our sins washed away. It's there we meet His blood. It's there that Jesus does His work. It's Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 12. It's there in Rome, Romans chapter 6 in the death, burial, and resurrection that I meet His blood and He washes away my sins and I am a new creature. Saved by the blood of Jesus. Yes, he's worthy of your energy, your effort, your time, your everything. Because he saves us. And then lastly. He is worthy of your involvement in his work. Because he will judge us. I want you to think about judgment. I would ask you to raise your hand, but I know how it is. We got bad shoulders and we don't want to do that. I'd ask you to shake your head, but guys, if you're like me, the tie's so tight, you're afraid if you shake it, it'll just break off. So I'm going to ask you to answer in your heart. Are you looking forward to judgment? If the answer is no... Clear your mind and listen to me. I'm ready for judgment. I look forward to judgment. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Not because I'm arrogant or cocky, but because I am assured that I have salvation through my Savior, Jesus. I can know that I know that I know, John says. And if I walk in his light, if I do his will, if I surrender to him and let him have charge of my life, then I have nothing to worry about because Paul said to the church at Romans, that there's, or in Rome, that there is no condemnation in Christ. And later on, as he finishes that thought, he says nothing can separate us from the love of God. From height to depth, he says wars, principalities, nothing can separate me. I am his and he is mine and as as long as I live faithful to him and his burden is not burdensome, his burden is easy and it is light, Matthew chapter 11, I can know that I have eternity in heaven with him and judgment is a day of rejoicing that I look forward to. And I'm going to tell you, I'm glad he's going to be my judge. Three people in my life that I love beyond expression. I loved my mama. My mama was a pistol ball. I wish every one of you could have known my mama. She was about five foot one. And if she was sopping wet, she weighed 110 pounds. And when it came to her only child, her baby boy, you better not mess with him. She'd go in the woods with a switch after a bear if she thought he was going to get after me. And if that bear didn't look right at her, she'd throw that stick down and she'd handle him with her bare hands. My mama loved me. My mama didn't see past my faults. She was the first to point them out more times than not. I've been chewed out. I've been spit out. I've been fussed at. I've been whipped. But because she loved me and I never doubted she loved me. Boy, I never left her presence, whether it was under good circumstances or fussing circumstances. And no matter how long I'd been gone, whether it be three minutes or three months, my mama was always glad to see me. 
And I know right now that she's on the other side and she's got one eye peeled this way waiting on her baby to come home. And she'll be glad to see me. But I don't want my mama being my judge. I have a 16-year-old daughter that I love beyond measure. She loves her daddy. We love to scoot a poot. We love to pull tricks on her mama. We love to aggravate her mama. We love to what her mama thinks we're keeping secrets from her. We don't keep secrets from her, really. But we love to do that. Ellie, better known to me as Turkey Liver, knows all that she's got to do is shed a little tear, and I'll pull out the wallet, the checkbook, give all the keys I've got, do everything I've got, promise anything. Just It's all yours just to stop that tear. Oh, I, as my mama says, worship the ground she walks on, not any disrespect to the Lord. And though Ellie can straighten me out pretty quick if I step over the line, and Ellie in turn loves me, I don't want Ellie being my judge. Tammy and I have been married for 23 years. If I had it to do over again, I'd do it just like I've done it. She is my everything. She loves me in spite of myself. She takes care of me when I could take care of myself. She encourages me, builds me up. There's not a moment of life that I can face. There's a lot of life that I have faced that I wouldn't have made it through if it had not been for her. And there's not a moment of life I want to face without her. As a matter of fact, I've told her, if you leave this old world before I do, I'm going to hit you right in the face. You're going to be the only corpse to lie there with two black eyes because I'm going to do it. Tammy is quick to bring me back into line when she sees my attitude or my actions wavering. But I do not want Tammy to be my judge. I want my Jesus to be my judge. He's been here. He's done this. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be afraid. He knows what it's like to be frustrated. He knows what it's like to be cornered by your enemy. He knows what it's like to have somebody on your heels after you all the time looking for you to mess up at any moment and any way. And he did it without sin. And he became my sacrifice for sin. And John uses this word, my propitiation. And Jesus said, you surrender to me. You let me save you. My friend, my brother, my servant, you're in. And I'll be your judge. I don't know about you. But surely if he was willing to suffer for me, he's willing to celebrate with me. And to hear it said, enter in, good and faithful servant. I want my Jesus to judge me. And no one else. Not those who love me the most. Not even my brethren. Can you believe that? By the way, I love y'all, but we're some of the meanest people to each other in all the world. I, I hope you're there and applaud me when I go in. But I don't want you being my judge. I want my Jesus, my friend, my brother, my king to be my judge. Based upon the fact that he made me, that he sustains me, that he saves me, and that he will judge me. I don't know why in the world 
we're sitting idle in his vineyard. If you haven't gotten something to do for the Savior, it's because you haven't looked or you haven't asked or you haven't applied yourself. There's more to do in the vineyard than we can shake a stick at. But when we surrender to Jesus because he is worthy of our involvement, our commitment will follow and we will see things happen beyond our wildest imagination. Faith is belief plus action. And when we do that, you look what God does. A Hebrews chapter 11. This building would be full. Contractors would be trying to find places to build buildings so that we could come together and worship. We wouldn't be concerned about what's happening in our streets and our worlds today because we would know that everybody was teaching and preaching Jesus. Iraq wouldn't be on the front page because when we take the Prince of Peace, then we'll have true peace and true peace only. But folks, we got to get involved. If you're sitting here this morning and you're not a Christian, I've shared the gospel plan of salvation with you. I talked about believing that Jesus is the Son of God to the point that you're willing to lay your life down before him, that you'll repent of your sins. Come out of that sinning business into the life-living business, that you'll confess him as the Son of God and as Lord of your life, and that you'll be immersed in water for the remission of your sins. If you're not a Christian this morning, your journey in becoming involved in his work starts there. If you're here this morning and you're one of God's children and you have left the fold, you've turned your back on God and said, I don't need you, I don't want you, I can do this on my own, and you've come to your senses as the prodigal son did in the hog pen, God's waiting on you to come home. I love the picture of the father and the prodigal son. He's standing and looking. And in Hebrew culture, an old man didn't run. But when that daddy saw that son, and that son represents God's rebellious children, and that father represents the great God of heaven, the scripture says that he ran. Is God waiting on you to come home? I know he's looking. And if you'll just turn toward home, God will run toward you. If you're here this morning and you don't fall into either of those categories... I think in too many situations, we've left these aisles available only for the sinner, but they're also for the saint. If you're here this morning and you've got something you want to share with this family that we can rejoice with you, that's what family does. We want to know about it. We can't know about it unless you tell us. Come forward and tell us. If you've got something, we can pray for you. If you're battling, if you're fighting, if the devil seems to be getting a stronghold in your life and we can pray for you, uh, come on down, saint. We want to pray for you. We want to hold you back. We want to help you through the fight. If we can help you in any way, why don't you come forward while together we stand in sing?